0: You're listening to the Aquatic Wetline, a tropical fish keeping podcast hosted by 23 year old fish keeper, Aqua Alex Cardinal. For three years, we provided you with quality tropical fish information and we'll continue providing some information on freshwater and saltwater tropical fish. Let's dive down deep into the aquarium and chat fish. Live from his fish room is Aqua Alex. Aquatic Wetline is now live.
1: This is the Aquatic Wetline Tropical Fish Keeping
2: Podcast right here on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. We are the first most successful fish keeping podcast on Blog Talk Radio. If you do a Google search with our name, you will get over four pages worth of stuff. Aquatic Wetline was founded in 2013 to provide tropical fish keeping with freshwater and saltwater aquarium informal and interesting shows. Over the past four years, Aquatic Wetline has delivered some good shows that are well received worldwide. Aquatic Wetline is hosted by a 23 year old fish keeper named Aqua Alex Cardinelli, who has a passion and love for freshwater and saltwater fish ever since he was born. Let Aqua Alex talk to you about fish and tank Welcome to the very first Fish Keeping Hall of Fame here live on Aquatic Wetline, the Fish Keepers Podcast, hosted by a fish keeper for the fish keepers. I'm your host, Aqua Alice Cardinelli. I am very proud to introduce to you to the Aquatic Wetlines Fish Keepers Hall of Fame. This is my opportunity and yours as well, since you are the listeners, to pay our respects to fish keepers who have left an impact on the aquarium hobby, provide a spark in the aquarium hobby with their passion, provide fish keepers with quality fish, fish knowledge, or something that gives back to the tropical fish keepers. So whoever enters the Aquatic Wetline Hall of Fame is somebody that left an impact in the fish keeping hobby. They provided a spark with their passion and they were either a fish keeper with knowledge or a fish store owner that provided quality fish and quality fish food to the um, fish keepers the very first inductee to the aquatic wet line fish keeping hall of fame is a lady that had a passion and love for corridorist catfish and in her later years quarries became her life she was a great person and always, always was very happy to tell you about corridorist it is an honor and a privilege to welcome Corridorus breeder Lynn Masney into the Aquatic Wetline Hall of Fame. Lynn bred gold and green laser Corydoras and other species of quarries out of her fish room and was quite popular on Facebook and other sites as well. Fish keepers, I would like for you to sit back, relax, and enjoy the show as we pay homage to our very first inductee tonight lynn masney sadly in november of last year lynn masney passed away just days before thanksgiving she will always be remembered for being a fun loving caring person who had a big heart and a huge passion
1: for core doris catfish. please join me in a moment of silence for lynn masney All right, thank you guys for uh, doing a moment of silence
2: with me. Now, before we hand the show over to our inductor, I would like to give a quick speech for my personal friend and best friend, Lynn Masney. I remember the first time I met Lynn, I had sent her a friend request on Facebook because I had seen her post a lot about Doris catfish on a Facebook fish keeping group called Fish Geeks. Now, at that personal time, I was looking for a guest that would come on to talk about Corridor's catfish because I had planned on getting some for my aquarium. So I sent Lynn a friend request and a message reaching out to her to see if she would be interested in being a guest. Within minutes, she accepted my friend request and also accepted to be a guest on my show. Her very first show was a success on aquatic wetline, as people raved about it, and I had a lot of messages saying it was a great show. I remember to this day, today, four years later, it was one of the highest listened show at the time because I had began this show in August of two thousand and thirteen, and it was in November of two thousand and thirteen when I interviewed her and we chatted about Cora Doris. After the show, Lynn and I began chatting about fish and stuff, and we became very close personal friends behind the show, behind the scenes. And I can't always say that about a few people but a few people. Um, but she was one of them, and I'm very, very honored to have that. Over the years we chatted about everything from cooking to hunting to tropical fish, and of course, Doris. She then wanted to become a regular guest, and she did. She talked about everything Corridoris and brought with her many listeners. I will always thank Lynn for being one of the fundamental reasons why Aquatic Wetline is as successful as it is. She educated my audience about Corridoris and got them hooked. Many of them went out and purchased Corridoris and tagged Lynn on Facebook, and thanked her in Aquatic Wetline for getting them hooked. As stated earlier tonight, she bred gold and green laser corridors, and many of our listeners purchased some of her corridors babies. Lynn always had fun jokes to share with me, and she would often say that she was going to tie me up. (laughs) She was very funny. In November, after the Thanksgiving holiday, I was going to invite her to be a guest once again. But sadly, I never got the chance. But it is because of her that this Hall of Fame exists. I know she would be very honored
1: and proud to be in the Hall of Fame. And I wish she was here to accept her induction. Let's all remember Ling for her love. And passion
2: for Cordoris. Now, let me suggest that the listeners of this show go out and purchase some Cordoris catfish and then tag Lynn Masney on Facebook. And in your post, say, I purchased some Cordoris from Lynn Masney and post a picture of it so that we can get it trending and we can keep Lynn Masney's love of Cordoris alive. I'm personally going to be buying some corridors on Friday, and I will start the trend. Let's make this as viral as we can to keep her dream of fish keepers enjoying corridors like her. So I really suggest that fish keepers go out, purchase some quarry cats, uh, take a picture, and then tag Lynn Massey on Facebook and say, I bought corridors for Lynn Massey. That would be wonderful for us, and it will make the corridor trend viral for Lynn Masney. All right, so now I am honored to present to you the person who will be inducting Lynn. Rebecca Withrow is a friend of Lynn's for over 40 years. She will talk to you about how she got into the fish hobby and other great things. So let's hand the show over to Rebecca as she will be giving the induction speech on behalf of Lynn. Rebecca, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for being here tonight.
3: Thank you for having me. I'm quite honored to be able to speak for Lynn.
2: It's an awesome pleasure, and you're the only person that I considered for Lynn, so it's very fitting.
3: Yeah, Lynn and I met in 1971 when we were but 14 years old. And we hit it off and became fast friends. And it had, at that time, had nothing to do with fish. But her life was amazing, and I can't wait to tell you all about it.
2: Awesome. The floor is yours, so you can uh, give your nice induction speech. I can't wait to hear it. Okay. Like I said, Lynn and I met in 1971.
3: We live out near the Everglades in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And uh, her dad had a ranch out out near the Everglades that uh, bordered on the Everglades. And we would go out there, me and her three sisters... Would go out there and we would round up for the horses that had been put out to pasture. And we always loved horses. And Lynn, through her father and the ranch, learned how to brake, ride, and train horses. And, uh, we would go on these roundups and, uh, literally, uh, Break into camps. Uh, the army still used to bivouac out in the everglades, and we would ride through their camps just raising cane, Four teenage girls wild and crazy. and uh, this was this was our first times together. but uh, Lynn's dad, her first experience with fish was through her father also, he used to breed bettas. And had little baby food jars with bettas in them all over the house. Used to drive her mother crazy because he liked to breed bettas. But to be honest, the West was calling Lynn. She uh, wanted to be a mountaineer woman, which she definitely became. She would. Uh, she she learned uh, how to cook and set up tents and take riders out into the, into the high country in Colorado, Idaho, and Nevada, and Nebraska. And uh, she would take hunters out into the, into the high country on horse, 15 miles in, rides in to uh, set up camp. She was the cook for them. She would set up camp, and there she learned how to dress uh, prize elk, deer, even bear. She learned how to cook these foods and prepare the meats for the hunters. And uh, this was her life for many years. She traveled and uh, just found this life and so much wisdom and experience that uh, that uh, she just absolutely adored. And uh, she also started a life with a, a man named Lynn. And they ended up moving to Alaska, to one of the outer islands in Alaska. And uh, where she worked at the fish uh, hatcheries and she would trim the adipose fins and they would uh, dump the fish in the lakes and supply the lakes with, uh, salmon. And, uh, she, uh, spent quite a, quite a few years there, seven years. I believe she lived with Lynn, but he had, uh, had a illness where he had seizures every day and had to have brain surgery. And, uh, their their life soon came to an end because he uh he he became very ill and uh was not the kind of life that Lynn wanted to have so she uh she came back to uh South Florida her mom became ill and uh she came back to South Florida and she moved one street from me And as soon as she came back, we got in touch. And I swear it was as if we were never apart for one day. We were apart for years and had kept in touch. But for her to come home and for me to see her was just so uplifting. We were such good friends. And we started our friendship anew, and we had lifelong stories to tell each other. And it was amazing what she had been through. She helped fight firefighters in in the West, and uh, she was an honorary firewoman, and she cooked for the firemen when they were out eating packaged meals and she would come set up camp there and cook for them and uh she really enjoyed her life as a mountain woman but uh this soon came to an end because she had to come home her mother had become very ill so she moved back home and i myself had uh Moved in with my boyfriend at age 18 and started to run an angelfish farm. And then I got married in my 20s, moved to Ohio, and became a show fish person. And I would travel all around uh, Michigan, Ohio, and Pennsylvania to different shows and show my fish and win trophies. And uh, I also became an auctioneer, which I truly love. It's because I can pres- I can pronounce Fractus alvus and I know what I'm talking about. But uh, Lynn had started a tank at home with her mom, and uh, it had trimaculatus coridoris, and uh, She first started with them, and she was basically a self-taught breeder. She was a fish watcher. So she watched, and these corydoras started breeding for her. And she soon learned how to sex them and uh, the ways that they uh, would breed. The the corydoras breed in groups and you need three or four males for every female because the female would fill with 200 eggs and the males don't have enough sperm in one male to fertilize that many eggs. So three males would follow the female around. She soon found out and fertilize the eggs. She would t- then take the eggs, and uh, put them in uh, methylene blue and found out that they t- took five to six days to hatch. And then upon hatching, she would feed them baby brine shrimp. And uh, she read everywhere that people used razor blades to take the the eggs off the glass or off plants and put them in the methylene blue water. But Lynn never did this. She used her fingers for each single one of them. She would take a finger and put them on the glass, in the tank, in rows, so they could easily be counted and kept track of. And once these... uh, once these eggs hatched, she knew to feed them. And uh, she uh, she soon wanted to keep not only Trimaculatus, which is a very inexpensive breed of Corydoras, but she also wanted to get into breeding some more expensive kinds of fish, kinds of Corydoras which was the lasers. There's red lasers, there's green lasers, there's orange, and there's yellow. Gold. And uh, she bred the orange lasers. One of my friends from the Aquarium Society, Gold Coast Aquarium Society, which she became well-known, and uh, one of our friends took her to a fish warehouse where she was able to choose... Uh, her group of gold lasers and uh, they are sexed from the, in a bucket from the top the females will be much more round and larger than the males and she soon, soon learned that uh, these were going to be more profitable for her So she got a group of wild gold razors and was soon breeding them. And it took about a year for them to breed on a regular basis. They were adult fish already. And they, uh, of course, come from South America and uh, Peru, I believe. And... They required a 6.0 quality water, and she would painstakingly every water change on these fish change the water, change the pH of the water to 6.0 from our typical tap water of 8.0. She would change the the water till it became 6.0. And would do their regular water changes. Well, she noticed that uh, when there was a barometric change in the air and she would do a water change, it would spur them into spawning. So they became her regular spawners. And uh, Lynn's mom passed away and then... uh, Shortly thereafter, she lost her father. And uh, I was here living the street from her and taking care of my own mother, who had become quite ill. And I lost my mother in 2014. And Lynn never let me spend one night alone in my house. She... uh came here and was with me during my time of sadness, and uh, I gave her two rooms. one was her bedroom and one was her fish room. I uh, told her that the uh, the lasers she was getting quite a bit of babies, and she had developed uh, separated one group of, uh, F1, which is first generation out of wild, uh, of the orange lasers, and she started breeding this group, too, so she was getting more and more babies, so I said, Lynn, we need to get you some 20 longs, because we don't need tall tanks for for bottom fish, we need long, low tanks and more surface area. The more surface area, the faster a fish will grow. So she was putting her babies two and three hundred at a time in the 20 longs, and they were growing to sellable size quite rapidly. So most often she would sell babies, juveniles, for $5 a piece. a piece, around there. And uh, she started her breeding business and shipping business. She then was shipped to all over the country. She had requests from Facebook and from friends and people who had gotten to know her on uh, Fish Geeks and Corridor's Land that uh she would uh, she would have, she had many customers, so people always wanted her fish because she would always throw an extra two or three fish in there, and uh, rarely had losses. She was very good at shipping and packing the fish for their trips to New York, Wisconsin, California, she shipped all over the country and was happy to do so and uh she did these, this for for quite a while and uh um i'm looking at my notes now and uh i'm up to the point where Lynn was doing great, and we talked about it. We've been friends for almost 45 years, and we talked about it, and she was continually bucketing her doing her water changes by, by the buckets, and we're not young women anymore. And Lynn and I decided together that we were going to, give up our fish business. And uh this was several weeks in, in talking about it and going over it and I was running nine tanks at the time. Mostly uh fifty fives, twenty nines and uh I had some big fish, I had some uh angel fish, I kept dwarf cichlids and uh was breeding angels still, and uh I just can't do it anymore i we Lynn and I are both disabled people, and she had a lot of serious illnesses and uh I have multiple sclerosis, and I'm bipolar, and we uh seriously talked about giving up the fish because it was just getting to be too hard for us physically. So uh, I went away. I I fell and I broke my rib November 5th, and I went to my daughter's in Apopka, Florida, north of Orlando, to recuperate. And uh, when I came home November 27th, I found Lynn in her bed. She looked peaceful. It was a extremely traumatizing time for me. And uh, I have her now. I have her ashes. And I brought her home. I sat her in her chair across from me. And we had a glass of wine, and I talked to her and told her how much I loved her and missed her. And it's just been to be lonely. I am very lonely without her. This house is empty without her. But... uh, I sold her fish to a man that she had been discussing selling her fish with from uh, Tampa, Florida. And he came in and uh, actually I called him and he came in the very next day and cleaned out all her fish for me. I sold him everything she had, tanks and all, fish and all, And uh, it was hard for me because uh, I wasn't up to taking care of the whole fish room anymore. And uh, while this brought Lynn so much joy, I couldn't keep it up. I wanted to for her, but I also wanted this gentleman, Greg Shevel, to have her tanks and her fish and continue on with her legacy. And as far as I know, he is doing that. And, uh, I don't know if he's getting any spawns and selling any fish, but, uh, you know, I wish him good luck. And, uh, I'm finding that,
1: uh, uh,
3: Being without her is very lonely, and uh, I'd I'd like to uh, contribute more, and uh, she was a big part of our aquarium society with any donations or help with auctions or raffles or anything, and uh, she picked up... uh, Royal placostomus for me once when I was sick, and she she picked it out of the raffle, and it was a big royal placostomus which I have to this day. I have one tank running that's left, and I have uh, the royal placostomus that Lynn brought for me from my aquarium society, and she said this is for Becky, and the room erupted in clapping. And uh, I feel that I am loved at my aquarium society, too, and uh had to give up the auctioneering and stuff, eyesights going, and all that you know we all get old, but uh, you know, Lynn made her mark with their orange lasers, and I hope that Greg continues in her stead and uh I'm very proud of her, and anything I can do to further the the keeping of Corey Doris in her name, I will be more than happy to do. Friend me on facebook uh I'm under Rebecca withrow and m s r Artworks. works and um uh, well, I think I've said about everything i I can say about lynn i uh I miss her terribly, and anybody who needs any help with the Cory Doris can contact me or alex and i i hope I hope uh we get a lot of uh hype about this. I will be posting a lot of her pictures online tomorrow of her fish. And uh, anybody has any questions for me, please, please uh, send me, shoot me an email. My email is msart at live. dot com because I am an artist, as was Lynn. She uh, she won first place in the Alaska State Fair for her rendition of an eagle catching a salmon out of the river. She has many pieces of artwork here that I'm happy to to have and call my own. And uh, she was more than my friend. She was she was my best friend. And I want to thank Alex for. Giving me this chance to talk about her and uh, her induction into the Hall of Fame would have made her so happy and proud. And I'm very pleased to be the one to do it. Thank you, Alex.
2: You're welcome. No problem. You did a phenomenal speech. I really uh, enjoyed your speech as a friend of mine. It was awesome.
3: Yeah, she uh, she she truly became a mountain woman and was a fisherman, which I didn't mention. She was a fisherwoman since she was able to hold the pole. That's what uh, I got for Christmas, a fishing pole and a tackle box from Lynn. <laughs> so I'm carrying on instead of at, at, uh, going on little fishing trips here and there.
2: Nice. Me and Lynn talked about that. She said she uh, caught some fish that are popular in the aquarium, probably like salvinis and uh, Oscars and stuff.
3: Yeah, we we caught them in the canal, and one of our good friend Alan Rollings from England was here, and he uh, he took he uh, was going from here to a show in Chicago, and he. Uh, caught some salvanize in the canal. Had them shipped to Chicago and sold them in the auction.
2: Wild caught oh, salvanize. No, lot of money from. Yeah.
3: Anyway, um... Like I said, you know, shoot me uh, shoot me a, a Facebook friend request and uh, ask me anything about Corey's you want to know because I learned along with her, you know, how to sex them, how to breed them, and, uh,
1: you know, helped her along the way. But I didn't
3: have the knack that she did. You know, she would painstakingly change that water pH to what they needed and required and she she did a thriving, thriving business.
2: It was a great business. I, I know that she had a lot of customers and everyone loved her business.
3: Yes. She sold all around the country and she uh she yeah. would painstakingly just you know, get the boxes, fill them with styrofoam, double-wrap the bags, put extra fish in there for you. And uh, she, at one point, sold a group of lasers to a friend of hers up north, and she sent her black Venezuelan corridors. But it turned out that this group of about 20 fish were uh, female heavy, so she didn't get but a few spawns from them, and very, very few viable fry. And uh, she had only raised a few of the black ones. She needed more males, but that never came of uh, came to fruition.
2: Yeah, I remember her telling you about telling me about the black, blackfinist plaroncoras corridors they're actually very nice.
3: Oh they're beautiful, absolutely breathtaking. They were pitch black with red fins, dark red fins. Very nice looking fish and they were large, large for corridors.
2: Yeah, I love big corys. They're pretty cool, like the brochus, The brochus are cool corys, too.
3: Yeah, brochus. They have the long face and uh, get quite a bit bigger.
2: I think they're called the hog nose corys, if I'm correct. Mm-hmm.
3: You're right. You're right, they are.
2: Because they have a long nose, a long snout. They're kind of cute, I think.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, I want to thank you for your phenomenal speech, and I'm I'm glad that you in- accepted her induction. You did a great job, and you were a great friend to her. Yes, thank you so much.
3: And, and I was privileged privileged to know her and be her friend for so long. And it's just a sad situation for me that uh, we started a GoFundMe page in Lynn's behalf to raise money for her cremation because uh, I got I got no help from her family. It was all on me, and uh, I arranged for it, and uh, and still. Uh, trying to raise money so if if anybody would like to donate even a small amount to a gofundme page under lynn mathney m-a-t-h-n-e-y uh please do so as it would help me immensely like i said i'm disabled and live on social security as we both did and uh it's uh pretty lonely here without her you know i just you know her smiling face she was always happy and and uh good-natured and uh just just a wonderful wonderful person and i'm so happy that that i'm the one in helping to induct her into the hall of fame and that she is the first member and uh it's uh, too bad it's in memoriam, but uh, she would have been happy. This would have pleased her immensely, immensely. And she so enjoyed being on your show, Alex, and talking. And uh, uh, just talking about fish made her happy. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: fish are often awesome to talk about. Yes. Well thank you for being anyway, here. You did a uh, phenomenal job.
3: Thank you. I wanted to let people know that she was not only a fish keeper in the last, you know, ten ten or more years of her life, she uh she uh was self taught and she she watched her fish and that's how she learned so much about the Cory Doris breed and uh she was phenomenal in uh in in her instincts with them and she just had a knack for it I don't know what it was but she just had a knack for it just like I had a knack for breeding angelfish and uh she had the knack with the Corydoras, and they're a wonderful little fish. They go in uh in almost any community tank except for big cichlids of course, you know, uh they can be kept with anywhere from endlers live bearers to uh
0: discus.
3: So uh you know I urge everyone to uh, try some Corydoras. If you can get a hold of some lasers or uh, any of the more rare species, I say try them. You never know. Uh, they're easy to breed. They uh, take off on their own. I kept panda catfish, panda Corydoras and they would breed and, and just let their babies live in the tank with them and raise them up.
2: Nice. The panda quarries are absolutely beautiful. I'm planning on getting some from my uh, community aquarium.
3: Yes. There's only a few uh, places around here that we can buy them, you know. There's always Pet Supermarket, Petco, uh, those kind of stores, but you won't find anything rare or unusual there. You've got to seek out your private business owners that run the aquarium stores that you can find the oddball catfish.
2: That's very true. That's why the mom-and-pop stores are the best in the aquarium hobby.
3: Yes. Those are the ones that... Tend to have more knowledge Of Individual breeds
2: Very true Well you have a great night and I appreciate you coming on To uh, induct her And uh, you gave a wonderful speech And I'm sure she'll love it Thank you so much
3: Uh, Like I said I wanted the people to know She was more than just a fish breeder. She was a mountain woman. She was my mountain woman. You know, she could uh, she could gut and skin a bear and cook it, <laughs> which is amazing <laughs> to me. You know, yeah, it's just amazing that a woman can do such things. That she uh, she had a love of nature and the outdoors, and that's how she spent her life. You know, mostly outdoors in uh uh with with horses and 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 uh animals and wildlife and uh she so enjoyed it and she had a, an amazing life and I don't think she would have regretted a second of it. Not a second.
2: That's awesome to hear. Hopefully when I die I feel the same way.
3: Oh yeah. <laughs>
2: Well, you're doing a great thing there running your
3: show, Alex, and I really appreciate you having me on and allowing me to talk about Lynn and uh, let viewers, uh, listeners know more about her than uh, just with the fish, that she was an all-around great wildlife-loving person.
2: No problem. I figured you would be the best person to do it because you know her better than anyone else did.
3: Yes, yes. And I thank God for that. And if we could have another moment of silence for her, I would really appreciate it.
2: Okay, so let's take a moment of silence once more. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. You have a good evening now.
3: All right, thank you so much. You're welcome. I really appreciate it, Alex. You're welcome. uh, I'm going to be going now, and you you have an enjoyable evening. And uh, like I said, anybody you if you want to know more about Corey's or more about Lynn, hit me up on Facebook.
2: So make sure you guys check out Rebecca Withrow on uh, Facebook, and maybe we'll have you on the show again to keep talking about Corey's. Okay. Gladly. Just give me a call, Alex. Okay, I will definitely do. All right. Have a nice evening, honey. Thank you so much again. You're welcome, and you have a nice evening, too. Nice
1: meeting you. Oh, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Lynn Masney's
2: inductor, Rebecca Wistrow, and she had a phenomenal uh induction speech. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Lynn Masney is officially inducted into the Aquatic Wet Line Hall of Fame. She is now the first official inductee into the Aquatic Wetline Hall of Fame. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and take a quick intermission. And during this intermission, I'm going to play two songs that are going to be very fitting for today's show. And then after the two songs, there's going to be some announcements for the Aquatic Wetline. And when I come back, you guys are going to hear Lynn Mathney talking about her love for Corey Doris. So we're going to get right to our intermission. Coming up next, I'm going to have Lynn Massey's clips from which she was a, a guest on Aquatic Wetline, and she's going to share her passion for Corridoras. Before I get to the intermission, I want to tell you guys that next Saturday, April 1st, 2017, at 9 p.m. Eastern, Aquatic Wetline will be debuting Tropical Fish Mania. That's next Saturday at 9, and also, don't forget, April 15th, Aquatic Wetline debut with his trivia game. I still need four contestants, so if you're interested, please email aquaticwetline at outlook.com and title your email AW Trivia. And in your email, include your name, your location, the fish you keep now, and your favorite fish. And the four people to email first will be the last four. And they will be the eight contestants on Aquatic Wetline Trivia. For more information, stay tuned for the intermission and don't go anywhere, folks, because coming up next, you'll hear Lynn talk about quarries.
0: You can be the king, calm, banging on your chest. You can beat the world, you can beat the war. You can talk the God, go banging on his door. You can throw your hands up, you can beat the clock. Yeah. You can move a mountains. you can break rocks. You can be a master, don't wait for luck. Dedicate yourself and you go find your yeah. world. You can run the mile. You can walk straight through hell with a smile. You could be the hero. You could get the gold. Breaking over. never could be broke. Yeah, do it for your people. Do it for your pride. You're never gonna know. Never even try. Do it for your country. Do it for your name. Cause there's gonna be a day when. Believers, be leaders, be astronauts, be champions, be truth seekers, be, be students, be teachers, be politicians, be, teachers, be, politicians, be preachers, be preachers. We we be leaders, be astronauts, be champions.
2: is brought to you by YourFishStuff.com YourFishStuff.com provides hobbyists with quality homemade fish food and aquarium supplies. The Your Fish Stuff difference. Buy direct and save. Buy direct from Your Fish Stuff. No middleman, no food masses produced by large corporations. No food sitting around in warehouses. Just fresh healthy food from your fish stuff to you quality ingredients like fish meal, shrimp squid, kelp spirulina and corella allergy doesn't cloud water and all of their fish food is made fresh, crafted in small batches, hobbyists owned and operated and all of their fish food is made right here in the good old US of A so check out yourfishstuff.com for quality fish food and aquarium equipment such as nets, filters, medications, and more. That's www.yourfishstuff.com, a proud sponsor of Aquatic Wetline.
1: Next! April
2: 1st 2017, 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m.
0: Central, 7 p.m. Mountain, and 6 p.m. Pacific.
2: Aquatic Wetline will celebrate the mania with the very first ever Aquatic Wetline Tropical Fish Mania. There's going to be three awesome guests. The first guest is going to be from the popular YouTube channel, Inappropriate Reaper. Inappropriate Reaper will be on to accessible Our second guest is the manager of my local fish store, School of Christopher Bones, will be here to talk about what it's like being a fish store manager. And our third and final guest will be a drama secret lover and expert, William Gardner. We'll be here to talk about arm ups for the first time ever. Plus, there will be real-fix We'll talk about yourfixstuff.com and why they are so quality and why they make a difference in the aquarium hobby and much, much more. So join Aquatic Sweatline Tropical Fictionia on April 1st at 9 p.m. Eastern. Woo!
1: I invite you to join your
2: fishkeeping group called Tropical Fishkeepers of Aquatic Wetline. I invite you to post pictures of your tropical fish, post videos of your tropical fish, post links to your fishkeeping YouTube channel, or just chat fish. One of the added benefits of this group is I'm going to do a Facebook Live Fish video every Sunday starting the first Sunday of March. So make sure you go and join Tropical Fish Keepers on the aquatic wetline on Facebook. Not only to post pictures of your fish, Jackson, but to see me live on Facebook in a Facebook Live video every Sunday. So what are you waiting for? Go join right now
1: Tropical Fish Keepers, Aquatic Wetline on stage. Aquatic Wetline is looking for our first
2: eight contestants for Aquatic Wetline's Aquatic Trivia Fish Game. Do you want to be a part of the first fish keeping trivia game? It's simple, the first eight fish keepers to send an email to aquatic at outlook.com with the title AW Trivia will be the contestants. In your email, please describe yourself, your fish tanks, and your favorite fish, and the career and location you live. You'll have to be available on April 15th from 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Mountain, and 6 p.m. Pacific, and you will be on the show for an hour to two hours. So, would you like to be on the very first Aquatic Wetline Aquatic Trivia Game, where the first prize is sponsored by YourFishStuff.com, and the second prize is sponsored by Aquatic Wetline and Aqua Alex. So, there's a chance you can win a prize. So make sure you email aquaticwetline at outlook.com and become one
1: of the eight contestants. It's the age that runs this place, the crazy, possible
0: Alex Cardinelli, here to promote my network, AIDS Network. On H Network, I have music shows that are brought to you by Jeremy Stolborn of Blossom City Radio and Andrew Neal. I also have WWE year shows with my co-host, James Cardinelli. I have cooking shows called Cooking and Making With, The Fat Tag, and much more. So make sure Age Network because I have controversial, entertaining, and all sorts of shows. Go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash Age Network with Alex Cardinelli. And you can also find Age Network on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Blueberry, and TuneIn. Tune in for Age Network on Google.
2: Hey uh, This is the Aquatic Wetline, a tropical fish keeping show brought to you by Aqua Alex in Springfield,
1: Massachusetts. Let's get back to the tropical fish chat right now. <laughs> Welcome back to a very special episode of the Aquatic Wetline,
2: ladies and gentlemen. This is the Aquatic Wetline Fish Keepers Hall of Fame, and tonight. We inducted our very first inductee, and that was Corridorus breeder Lynn Masney. And inducting her was a very good friend of hers, a very nice lady by the name of Rebecca Withrow with a phenomenal induction speech. I could not have done it better than she did. She did a great job. Now we're gonna hear Lynn Masney discuss Corridoris. She loved Cory's and it showed in her many speeches here on Aquatic Wetline. Now, let's do one more moment of silence for Lynn Nasty since she tragically
1: passed away in 2016. All right, guys. Thank you so much for uh, participating in that moment of silence.
2: Now, to finish off our show today, I'm going to let you hear Lynn Masney
1: talked about Cora Doris one more time. With that being said, let's welcome in tonight's guest,
2: Lynn, to the show. Hi, Lynn, how are you doing tonight? Yes. Hi, Alex, yes. how are you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm so glad to have you on the show tonight. Oh, that's great. I'm great. To, I feel good to be here. Awesome. So, um, would you mind telling the audience a little bit about yourself? Well, I started with with fish
4: when i was five years old but i got into cory's being at a girlfriend's house about six years ago and i just happened to be in the house and a bunch of quarries spawned so i got a chance to watch them and i was intrigued and that did it for me so i dug up a bunch of cory's and i had no supervision i didn't know anybody that bred cory's and i sat on the
0: bucket for
4: the with a Budweiser and a cigarette and started watching. And that's when I learned all my behaviors and how to breed them, basically. And read up on them online, of course. That could be a first for anybody getting into quarries. Just to study where they're
2: from and their habitat and and the such. Awesome. That's that's a great way to learn how to keep fish. Uh, that's one of the things I like to do is just sit there and watch the fish breed and learn from that way.
4: Yeah, well I I tried back and forth. I did get a few tips from some older quarry breeders who've, you know, long since stopped. But uh they were a lot of big help in getting mine going. Awesome.
2: Okay, so let's begin the show by talking about raising cory's. What would be your advice for someone who wants to start keeping corridors with catfish?
4: Now, the first thing I would suggest when you're looking into buying cory's is look at your species. Look them up, find out where they're from. Cory's come from high altitude and low altitude, and a lot of times that'll make a difference on your temperature of your tank. There's a lot, I've had a lot of angel and discus breeders want them, but a lot of them cannot handle the 80-plus degrees. So there's certain species that you'd want to get for keeping fish in such a situation. So that would be my first thing to say is look them up, look where they're from, and get their basic habitat down.
2: That's that's well said. I the first thing I always suggest to anyone who wants to learn about any kind of species of research and with corys, research is key here too, right?
4: Yes. Well, researching I mostly did mine online. And looked at the different fish and their habitat, where they're from and like I said, basically your higher altitude quarries like cooler water. And your low altitude quarries can handle hotter water. So, you kind of got to look at where your fish are from. So, that'll make a difference. They also come from an area of Central and South America, basically. There's some that are caught, I believe, over in Germany and areas like that. But for the most part, we'll be talking about fish that we pretty much get here, that we have access to here. Because I've looked up a bunch of quarries like that, and they don't even have them over here. So, basically, we'll talk about the ones that you can get here readily,
2: if that makes any sense. Yeah, it makes, uh, it makes a lot of sense. I I understand where you're coming from with that. So, what are some of the core species that are readily available here in the United States?
4: Well, you're running along with stuff like stir pandas. When you go into your local store, the most you'll see the most of is your pandas. You'll see albino, and you'll also see peppered cats, and you'll also see bronze quarries. Those are the big ones that are sold through the big distributors. So when you start getting off on something else, you're getting on something else that not everybody's got, which is what I did when I first started getting into it. I looked to see what everybody else has got and then picked up the ones that everybody else doesn't have. So basically, I've put myself in the green money-wise, because I'm selling fish that are worth a little bit more, which makes a big difference if you're actually in the hobby to make any money. So where they come from is Central and South America, pretty much, so they're used to more of a pH in the 60s. So that's something to contemplate if you're going to breed, because they'll live in 70s and well, 75, 7.5, and they'll live in that water. They won't necessarily spawn in that, but if you just want to keep them in your tank and enjoy them, I would stick to somewhere in the pH in your 70s because that's a normal pH for a lot of your fish. And down in South and Central America, they also have seasons. They're a seasonal spawner. So basically you'll see a lot more action in your quarries come winter which is their spawning season down in South and Central America. So you'll see a lot of action with them swimming back and forth in groups and they dance and they call that's pre spawning behavior. But it's fun to watch. And they like to be in groups, you know, so buying one or two quarries if you have a small tank, it's all right, but they generally like to be in bigger groups. My spawning groups, I've got 11 in one and 12 in the other, and it makes for a much better group. They just like hanging out together.
0: And that's, that's in Central and
4: South America, when they collect, they'll pick up fish that are different breeds all in one collection. So they mingle, and so you can have species in your tank that are not all the same species. If you'd like to have some different colors, like I've got orange lasers, which basically are CW-10 gold lasers. Now, why gold lasers have an orange stripe is beyond me, but that's the way they name them. And I've also got a C-121, which is a new fish on the market. So we'll be seeing some of those starting to filter in through my sails. But basically you're going to run into those. Those four will be the ones you'll see the most. Now you'll see stirbys quite a bit in the United States. Now a stir is a fish that you can put in with your discus and angelfish. They will tolerate the 82 to 84 degree temperature a lot better. <clears throat> So you've got it, like I said, temperature and everything, there's so many species of quarries, that it's not hard to dig around and find somewhere that's got something different if you want something different. But that's the main thing, is to look at where they were collected from, the species that you've got, and try and duplicate that in your tank. But they're very versatile. They'll still... Like they like soft water where they're from, but my water here is a little on the hard side, and they don't seem to care. I'm still getting them to breed,
0: so
2: that's a good thing. Well, well said. I know you touched on um, beasts on one important thing with Cory, Catholics that like to school, and I, 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 love the fact that the Cordoros are one of the Catholics at school, and um, I love schooling Catholics, So that's one reason why I enjoy Cory so much
4: and like I said, you can put more than one species in, and they'll still all school together. So a lot of people like to do that. Pick up a couple of this one, a couple of that one, maybe one or two of this breed. And there are some certain breeds, like the Aeneas group, that will crossbreed. Like if you put an albino quarry in the same tank as a bronze, they will crossbreed. They all won't do that, but some will if they're in the same subspecies. That, that's pretty interesting, you know. Yeah, like my Aeneas, my, um, they're, well, my uh, orange lasers are in the Aeneas family, and I've heard that they will crossbreed with an a albino Aeneas or the bronze. I don't keep them with them. I've got a separate spawning tank for each of my breeds to keep them all separate. Because I'm also dealing with wild fish, which is a whole nother subject. Because tank-raised fish are more tolerant of everything than a wild fish. The wild fish, you've got to stick to your PHs and stick a lot closer to their their habitat from where they're from.
2: That's a very key point there. I actually enjoy the uh, wild cichlids a lot more than the. Tank race quarries, do you I I think the whales have more color?
4: Yeah, they do, um, because when you get them cross-bred, you know, these people that are breeding them, the distributors, you know, they'll have a whole load of quarries all the same breed. And they tend to fade out some of the color, I think. But, like, my quarries being from my um, orange lasers are from Peru. And I got them when they were about three months out of Peru, and that was like last August. And they only spawned for me twice last winter, and I haven't got them to spawn since. But now I've had them in a tank for a year, and just this month I've gotten three spawns out of them. So they may be easing into being in a tank and living tank life, and I'm hoping to get more spawns out of them. So breeding hard fit, breeding wild fish is a little bit trickier than breeding your tank-raised fish.
0: The tank. They're well, also a little
4: more skittish. They're a little more skittish to the traffic around the tank, and they'll hide a lot. But I took my two tanks with the spawners in it, and I didn't give them anywhere to hide. So when I come in the room, they're forced to see me. And when I sit on my bucket in front of the tank, they'll come out. And I've gotten them to the place now where they will eat their own eggs. So if I see them laying on the glass, then I'll collect my eggs immediately. And they're used to me sticking my hand in the tank and picking up eggs. And now they'll spawn right around me.
0: So it's basically,
4: you know, what they're used
2: to and and teaching them, just like a puppy, that's very cool. That's a very nice story to share with us about quarry um breeding. So anyways, what would you say is the minimum thing size for corys considering that they need to be kept in schools? Pardon? I'm sorry. Uh, That's okay. Um, What would you say is the minimum tank size for them, considering that quarry cats need to be kept in school, so what what would be your minimum tank size to keep quarries in? Well, you could
4: put them in a five. You can keep a couple quarries in a five. I would say like three quarries in a five-gallon, and I have a small trailer that I live in, a small mobile home, so I'm really limited on size. And I also give presentations on breeding and keeping quarries and with the minimum space that you've got. And right now I'm running four tanks for each species. And my four tanks consist of three 10 gallons and one 5 gallon for the eggs. So I'm basically running right now, I've got about 100 baby quarries in one 10 gallon tank. But the trend these days is I'm selling them as babies which I can sell them a whole lot cheaper. And people are picking up on them right and left. So I've got a list of 36 people that want my babies as soon as they're big enough to sell. So you, your tank size, basic, I've got, like I said, 11 and 12, and they're all in a 10-gallon tank. But I have no other fish in there with them. So they're the only ones in there. So I can't put any more than that pretty much in those tanks. Now you run something like a 125 or 75 gallon even, you can put yourself a school of 10 or 12 and they'll stay together and they'll run across the glass together and dance and they're really fun to watch. Always digging, always digging.
2: That's true. Corridors have an awesome personality for a catfish. I love keeping corys in any of my aquariums.
4: Yeah, they and I was watching today. I saw at my girlfriend's house one of the corys is buddied up with one of the angels. So they were following each other back and forth across the glass. So you never know who they're gonna buddy up with
2: next. It would be cool for a to. Up with a uh, loach of some sort. <laughs>
4: well, my girlfriend has got a tank that's got six corridors of green aneas, and she's got angels, and she's got a bunch of loaches in there, and they do run together. She's into her loaches. She's got um, botias and yo-yos and all different. She's a loach person, and they're all in there together, and they're doing just fine. They don't attack each other. They just kind of mingle. Nice, but when they start cool. running back and forth across the glass, then that's kind of fun to watch. They're very busy little critters. That's and cool. the younger they are, the busier they are. I call them my little zoomers when they're first hatched. Because <laughs> they're steady zooming around the tank.
2: night. Yeah. Nice. So um, what should people feed their Corydoras or their Cory cats? What we you suggest for a good diet for Cory, cats?
4: Okay, a diet for a Cory, some people believe that Corys should be there to pick up all the waste. Well, that you're really shorting your Corydoras by letting them eat leftover flake and stuff like that. They're omnivores, so they like plant and they like meat. So in like my Corys, they get a very varied diet. In the morning, they'll get high-octane pellets. Like, I'm spawning them so I condition them. So they get a 54% pellet, which is a lot of protein. 54% protein in that. And then I also feed them, being they're wild, I give them live food occasionally. So I'll give them live blackworms. They also like bloodworms. They'll eat tube effects. And, of course, I throw in a little bit of flake here and there. And then at night, they all get frozen brine shrimp. I don't have a big enough area to raise my own brine shrimp. So I just buy the frozen, and they like it just fine.
0: So you can pretty
4: much vary their diet, and I believe they'll get in on the cucumbers and stuff you would throw in for plecos. They'll get into a little bit of everything if you throw it in there.
0: Awesome. And with, of course,
4: when they're babies, of course, when they're young, you've got to feed them something different because of the size. Which we can get into that when we start getting into the breeding and and unless you want to talk about harboring the baby fish,
0: <laughs> we can
4: talk about that next weekend here on the aquatic. Yeah, that's lunch. what I'm saying. We can get into the babies and all next week when we start getting into the breeding.
2: So basically, corys uh, are not picky eaters, right? Not really. They're not finicky at all. They'll they'll even
4: come up and dance for food. Once they get used to you, like I said, mine are pretty used to me now. So they'll come right up and in front. I like to put their food right across the front, and they'll come up there and eat. And so I get to watch them eat. And the live worms, they'll fight over the live worms like a piece of spaghetti. One fish on each end until they get to the middle. So it's kind of interesting to watch them eat because they steady dig. Now, they've also... uh, One thing that has come up amongst quarry people is the substrate. Uh, Quarries, where they're from, have a sand bottom. Everybody thinks you should use sand. Well, you should, but with me, uh, what will happen is if you use... rough gravel in your tank it'll ruin their barbels they'll scratch it on the rough surface and you'll end up with a bunch of fish that don't have any barbels which they need those to help track down their food and what i've got is small round gravel that i bought at walmart and the biggest reason i use gravel is when i'm collecting eggs the eggs will fall into the gravel the ones i i miss and they have a chance of not getting eaten, and they'll hatch in the gravel, and I can collect them later. So basically that's your substrate of choice would be sand, but they'll live in the gravel, And but just don't make it sharp. Don't give them anything sharp to hurt their poor little whiskers. That's some
2: great advice there. Now, can they do beer bottom? Would they be already right in beer bottom? Oh, Yeah. Yeah,
4: you can put them in a bare-bottom tank, but I don't like cleaning a bare-bottom tank. (laughs) That's the big thing. I can go in with a vacuum, which is a tube that has a bigger tube on the end and a smaller tube on the other side, and you vacuum your gravel. It'll pick up the debris, and it'll drop the gravel. So I just go through, and I I vacuum the gravel to get any of the... At leftover food and fish poop and which I call fish and <laughs> clean up your debris and it'll leave the gravel but that's the biggest reason I use gravel is basically for the babies you know to hide the eggs and all if they should drop but the fish dig in it just like they would sand so I haven't had any problems with mine and I've been breeding mine for six years Oh, but that's something to watch for, is your substrate, most definitely. And a lot of people will use a planted tank for their quarries. And I started off using plants, but they would lay eggs on the leaves, and when I went to collect them, I'd either have to put the whole plant in, another, in my five-gallon, or what I've been doing is collecting the eggs by hand and putting them in the, in the smaller tank. But they were tearing up my plants, so I've turned around now, they've got all plastic plants, which for me works just fine. And I've got their tanks set up like a community tank, where it's visually nice, and you don't have to worry about cleaning the bare bottom to make sure it's so spotless that it looks good and they'll definitely clean the gravel. They do a lot of their own cleaning on the gravel also. That's pretty cool
2: that they do that. So the next question I have for you is, um, what, would you, what would you suggest for take-mates for quarry cats? Cory cats
4: are pretty easy to get along with. I would not suggest anything like uh, big cichlids. I had a... Oscar at one point and I put a couple of Corys in there thinking with the spines I saw the Oscar pick it up head first and spit it back out so I thought I was good and clear that I could keep Corys with an Oscar well then the Oscar figured out to sneak up behind him and he literally bit the cory in half leaving the head and the spines so I don't keep them with cichlids but they will get along like and angelfish is a cichlid, but they'll still get along with angelfish. Like I said, if you pick a, a quarry, that'll take a higher temperature, because angelfish like a higher temperature. They'll, they'll take more in the eight, like 82 to 84, and you really don't want low, I mean, high-altitude quarries in that. They don't do as well. Sometimes they'll just die. Which makes it a problem. And another another thing, when you go to the store and you buy Cory's, uh, sometimes you'll get your Cory's home and find they've all died. Well, Cory Doris is one fish, and I don't know of any others, but I'm sure there is. When they're stressed out, they will emit a little bit of toxin out from under their gill plate. And so if you put a bunch of stressed-out quarries in a bag, they'll release that toxin, and they could be dead by the time you get them home, and you won't know why. Now, if you look along the top of the bag where the water line is, if you see little bubbles along the top line, the chances are they just killed themselves with toxin. So a lot of suggestions I've heard from people is to let the fish store people chase them around they'll chase them around the big tank they'll emit that toxin which will dissipate into the big tank and when you put them in the bag you're not going to have that problem of worrying about getting them home now that doesn't always happen some people have no trouble at all but if your fish should die by the time you get them home that could be part of the problem and i learned that from a man named ian fuller who is a quarry man who has been doing cor- nothing but quarries for forty years. And that's why I learned that little bit of information was from Ian.
2: But well said a- we- Go ahead. Well said we we're just about to talk about that in a in a minute or two, so that's a very very good information I think our listeners should know about that quarries do produce toxins that can kill them.
4: Yeah, it'll affect other fish in the bag also. If you decide to put corys in bags with tetras, they get along well with all your tetras and rasboras. And the only thing you'll have to watch for is fin nippers. Now, if you end up with fish that are fin nippers, like I think barbs might be in that bracket. uh, Fish that are bad at nipping fins, they'll nip your corys fins. And if you also, there's a type of an algae eater you need to watch for, too. I can't remember the Latin name, but they will um, attach themselves to the side of a quarry and bite through him, because quarries have no scales. They have skin instead of scales. So when you're treating a tank for anything else, if you have ick or your fish end up with something else, and you got to treat a tank that's got quarries in it, you've It's a wise thing to do to give your medication in a half dose because they'll absorb it a lot quicker not having scales.
2: Well said. I agree with you on that as well. You can also use um, kosher salt, correct, or is kosher salt dangerous for them?
4: Uh, Pardon? I didn't get that.
2: Well, I'm sorry. Um, You can also use kosher salt and some warmer water to help them. Is that too dangerous for them? they use for my um,
4: other fish. Well, like I said, the warmer you do the water, the worse it is for them. But 80 degrees would be all right. You start hitting 84, and you're getting a little too warm for them. And that's a problem because when people treat for ick, they run the temperature up to like 84 to 86. So you're playing an iffy game treating. Like that for an angelfish, or something else, where you need to raise your raise your heat, and I know a lot of people that pull their quarries if they 've got to do that quarries aren't for some reason I have had no problem with it, and I see a lot of people that end up with ick in the tank, but it hasn 't affected the quarries i 'm not saying they won 't get it, but i've seen them avoid it a lot easier than other fish.
2: Yeah, they are very strong fish, I know that for a fact, and I never had um, ick my, with my quarries t- to date. Yeah, you end up with other fish that end up with the ick,
4: especially if you're bringing them home from a fish store, where a lot of people suggest having a quarantine tank for anything you buy in the fish store. But if you've got yourself a reputable fish dealer, like my quarries, you know, the lasers, they're a little bit harder to find. And the only thing about that is if you buy from a breeder, you have less chance of having that happen because a breeder, they pretty much take better care of all their fish. So if you get a, if you have a good breeder, sometimes it may cost a little more, but it's worth it to get a
2: healthy fish. Well said. So, Lynn, what would be your favorite quarry species? How
0: you burn the
4: tree? I would say it's my orange lasers. I love the color. They've got an orange, neon orange stripe down them, and their their body is gold, and they've got a pink blush on their gill plate. And I like the green lasers, but I'm a, I think I like the orange ones better. They're gold lasers, technically, but... Everybody calls them oranges because of the orange stripes, and it's like a bright neon. They've got a lot of color to them, and I like color. There's so many black and white Corys that I decided I didn't want to breed another black and white quarry. And I've got buyers for them, so that's the good thing.
0: Because I pretty much
4: raise
2: them to sell. Those lither quarries are very beautiful. I know that I rarely, really, very rarely seen up here in where I'm from. So when they are up here, they're very expensive.
4: Oh, yeah. I had one guy tell me he saw them in one of his fish stores for twenty four ninety five a fish. Wow. Now, I'm, I'm selling my babies, uh, say, three-quarters of an inch, half to three-quarters of an inch. When they're big enough and they're hardy enough to ship, I'll sell them for $3 a piece.
2: That's not It's a great price.
4: Yeah, that's a good price, but I can get by on that, whereas juveniles, if they get bigger, say an inch or so, I'll sell them for
0: $6 because
4: mine are always gone before they get that size. So that seems to be the trend these days, that people are buying all my babies and putting them in a separate tank and growing them out to their size, You know, to the size they want to put them in their tank at.
0: Nice.
2: You you offered them at a steal of a price, actually. It's an awesome price.
4: Yeah. So I've got all mine sold, you know, just keeping them alive, and I'm good to go.
2: That's the best the best thing to do
4: is keep them alive. Yeah. And I've, with the wildcots I had an accident that I tried to hatch my eggs out in seven-point water, thinking they would acclimate to that automatically where when I sell them, they'll go to somebody's tank and the 7.0, and that'll be all right. Well, it didn't work. It killed off every everything that hatched. So, oh, that sucks. yeah, that really kind of sucked. But I learned my lesson. But once they leave here, they'll be able to live <laughs> in the 7.0 tanks.
2: Nice, nice. So, my favorite quarry is the brochure species. Have you ever worked with the brochure species? No, I haven't. What color are they? These are um, actually brown. They're actually uh, a wild-caught species, so most of the brochures you get in your fish store are all wild-caught. These are one of the one of the first few quarries that are have not been tank-raised yet. Oh, really? Well, I looked yeah. into my other
4: ones, the C-121s. Now, those are a new species that are undetermined or undescribed yet. They haven't been dissected or taken apart or um, they haven't been collected enough, I guess, to give them a name yet. And I was, I went to a big import-export warehouse down here, and I was looking for Adolph eyes. I thought I'd go with Adolph eyes. They're a white fish with a black stripe across their eyes a black band that runs down their top line, and another black band right behind their shoulders, and they've got bright orange in between those two bands. So I was out after eyes. Well, I bought the Adolfi's from this place, and they come from Brazil, and they had only been out out of Brazil for maybe a month and a half. And I ended up buying, some of them had spots on the side, Big blush spots, which I didn't think anything of it until I posted them on Cory Doris Land, which Ian Fuller is part of, and everybody let me know that I had a different species. They were not Adolphis at all. They just happened to be running with the Adolphis and got collected with the Adolphis. So I'm going to wait till they come in season again and pick up some more C-121s <coughs> to add to what I've got. But nice. That's another interesting one that's going to be new to the market.
2: Nice. So, do you have anything you want to close today's short with? Pardon? Do you have anything you want to close today's short with? Anything you want to add to the close short the with?
4: Well, I like I said, I suggest if you're into getting something different than what you got at your pet shop, look them up, see where they're collected from, and what kind of <laughs> environment they're from. You'll have your best results by doing that, and awesome, you'll be a lot happier with them because they'll be happier.
2: Awesome. All right, so Lynn, I like to say thank you for coming on the show tonight. I had lots of fun learning about Cory catfish. And if you listeners have any further questions, contact Lynn uh, Massany with your questions on Facebook. Thank yes, you for coming on the a show tonight, Lynn. Face. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Aquatic Wet Lines' own Corridorist catfish breeder, Lynn Matney. Lynn, how are you doing today?
4: I'm doing great. Hey, hey, everybody. I hope you're ready. we got some interesting stuff tonight.
2: It's going to be a very, very fun fun show. So, it's been a while since I've spoken to you on the radio, so can you provide us an update with uh, with your Corridorist breeding store?
4: Well, right now, the lasers, I'm getting ready to make them spawn. I need another spawn because I'm just about sold out. All the bigger juveniles that I've got have gone out the window thanks to the Internet. I've sold a few here around the neighborhood and uh, friends and people that have just gotten wind of the corys that I've got. And an update, I'm getting new corys. I'm also going to be getting blacks. So I'll have the orange lasers and I'll have black quarries, which is something that you don't see very often.
2: So oh, nice. besides that, well, I'm I'm just about out of quarries. Oh, that's good to hear. You've been selling a lot of quarries. and know those black quarries are very rare, so congratulations on that.
4: Yeah, thank you. By next you year, awesome. they should be ready to spawn.
2: 'Cause they're gonna That's be young. They're to gonna be juveniles. I'll have to buy some black corys from you. Oh yeah.
4: <laughs> oh yeah, you'll like them.
2: So you pretty much so sold all of your other d- corys already. What's that? So you sold all your other corys already, right?
4: Yeah, and I've got. I have some uh, that are probably a half inch long. So they're young yet; they got a ways to go, but they'll be sold. And I, I even let the babies go like that. The people that want to raise themselves, I sell them for like fifty cents a piece for the real little ones, and I get four dollars a piece for the juveniles. And when they're full grown, they go for twelve to fifteen dollars in the stores. So I think I, I provide a pretty good price. So yes, that's you do. why I think I'm getting all this business.
2: You have an awesome price.
4: Yeah, that is. That's a good deal for a laser. The only thing that's holding me back is the shipping. The shipping costs more than the fish. So I have a lot of people backing out, and I've got people that want to use the post office with their priority prepaid box. You know, you put everything in there you want for a certain price. But we've had problems. I've had problems with the post office. I sent fish that took six days to get there. Needless to say, they were all dead. So I had to replace those. So I'm not real thrilled with using the post office. I stick with UPS.
2: I heard UPS is good for shipping fish, so that's that's probably true. UPS is a lot better.
4: Yeah, I do second-day air. And the ones that really want them quick can do overnight, but boy, it's spendy. It's not uncommon for a 10 by 10 box to go for $100. So when you buy, like, 20 fish, I've got an order of 20 fish to go out. And that's 20 fish, that's $80, and the shipping is 70 for second-day air. So it's a good hundred and fifty dollars. But like I said, being their lasers, if you raise them, if you want to breed
2: them, you'll make your money back. That's very true. Now I think this is a perfect start to the show today. If any of our listeners have any questions on Corridors from Miss Lynn Matney, a W S cory breeder, please call in live at three four seven. 989-8142, dial 1, and we will be happy to answer your quarry questions for you. With that being said, let's get started. Now, Lynn, I know we discussed breeding of quarries, but I would like to discuss breeding of quarries once again. Um, Lynn, can you explain to us how you raise your Corridor's fry? How, how I deal with the fry, that's a good
4: question because that varies amongst the breeders. Now, the way I do it personally is after the uh, fish have laid the eggs, I take the eggs. They lay on plastic plants. I take the eggs, and I put them in a five-gallon fish tank, and I use 6.5 water, 6.5 pH, because that's the water that the parents are in. And then I go ahead and let them hatch. My fish take five and six days. So they hatch during that five and six days. When they're done, I take the plastic plants out and I put them in a bucket of bleach water to clean them up. So I let them scoot around in there, but as soon as possible, I take them out. To transfer them, I use an airline tube. And you know the five-gallon buckets of ice cream you can get or the five quarts of ice cream you can get at the store? Well, we ate a lot of ice cream, and I take the buckets, and I use those to transfer my fry. I use the airline tube, and I siphon it and get get it going, and I chase them all around the tank and pick them all up and put them in that bucket. Then that bucket goes to a 10-gallon fry tank. So that lets them grow a little bit before I put them into a bigger tank. Well, not bigger, but, you know, the next one up for the medium size and then when I go to transfer them again I'll use a bigger tubing and I'll suck them up again and put them back in the bucket and then they go to the juvenile tank where they grow just a little bit more and then they're for sale but taking care of them now pH I've tried to do a pH of 7.0 to hatch them thinking that you know if if it was 7.0 they should be able to handle 7.0. Well, that wasn't true. I killed the whole batch. So I found that once they're hatched, I've got to keep them in 6-point water. So after they're about a month old, then I start transferring the water and checking the pH on it and lowering the pH till it's like 6.5. And then I gradually, using chemicals, I know nobody likes chemicals, but I got, but it works for me. So I gradually up it when I do water changes. So I gradually up it until they're used to 7.0, and then the rest that they grow is in 7.0. So that when I sell them to you, they'll go right in your tank, and there won't be a pH difference that can kill them.
2: So with that as a start, what else would you like to know? That's good. Now, what do you feed your fry? Is it, is it important to feed your fry after they're born, or do you wait a while to feed them? Two days.
4: Uh, they they come with a yolk sac, just like any other small animal. They come with a yolk sac that lasts about two days. And after that two days, I start mine on frozen baby brine shrimp. And then when they get to be, oh, a little bit bigger, say, not quite a quarter of an inch, I'll start feeding them Daphnia, frozen Daphnia, which is just a hair bigger than the than the uh, baby frozen baby brine. And then once they get, plus when they get Daphnia, when they're that big, I'll start crushing up flake and give them a little bit of crushed flake in with it. And then when they get a little bigger than that, they jump up to the bloodworms, and more flakes. So it's kind of a process that each tank gets something different. That I just kind of figure what how size the size of the fish depends on what food it's going to get. Now I've tried to feed my laser spawning group frying shrimp, they won't eat it. I've tried and tried and tried, they leave it in a pile on the bottom of the tank. Now I haven't tried to feed brine to uh, the fish. In, the fish that are growing, I haven't tried, but I think I need to because they're tank-raised instead of being wild. So they just might eat baby brine or might eat brine shrimp. And I just bought fish food today and forgot to get some. And you can always tell a fish geek when you have no groceries in your house and your fish are fully fully stocked. So I have no groceries, but I have plenty of fish food. But that's kind of a step-by-step process. Well, that means you love your fish, which is good. Yeah, they eat pretty good. And I've got certain pellets. I got some from a girl online named Zoe. I can't remember her last name, but she sells some really good pellets. And I've also got shrimp pellets, omega shrimp pellets, and they love them. They love them, but the only problem is it turns the water to look like it's got tannin in it. It really discolors the water. It takes me multi-water changes to get rid of it. So I try not to feed those that often. I think I fed the
2: juice. But before we get into
1: uh, speaking
2: of your career as a chef. I know that there was a terrible tragedy this past Friday, and I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but Lynn, what are your thoughts on the situation in Paris this past Friday where over 100 people were killed and what is thought to be another terrorist attack? Frankly, I think it really sucks.
3: I'm afraid that we're going to get hit next. I really am.
4: I mean, it's been many, many years since we've had a war over here.
2: So I see it happening. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I hope we don't get attacked, but I I see it happening as well, just like you do. Well, it's it's happened everywhere else in the world. It might as well end up here, too. I know, and hopefully it but doesn't I, happen. I
4: was, sad. I was really sad to see that, though. That was pretty bad.
2: Yeah, it was terrible. I woke up on Friday uh, or Saturday morning, and I saw that on the news. It was terrible to see.
4: Yeah, they're saying like 129 dead or something like that. I know, it's
2: 300 awful. 300 and something wounded. This That's world has gotten to become a bad place. Yeah, it's gotten to become a terrible place now. Yeah. Well, I hate
4: to see that kind of shit happen, but like I said, I see it coming here before too long.
0: I yeah, mean, the I 9 nine
4: eleven.
2: Hello? Yeah, 9-11 was terrible. Hopefully you will never have to deal with anything like that again, but I do see another uh, terrorist deck here, if not now, in a couple years. Yeah, a couple years I think you're right. But uh, anyways, moving on, I know that you love your corridors and you love the fish keeping hobby, obviously, but what other kind of hobbies do you enjoy? Well, I enjoy horses. I worked in the high country
3: for
4: about 15 years riding horseback, bringing people in for horseback trips back into the mountains. I've ridden the Continental Divide on horseback. Very beautiful. It's something that I really miss now living down here in Florida. I miss the mountains really bad. Everything got packed in on horseback. Take all that stuff you got in your kitchen, Alex, put it on a horse and bring it into camp.
3: (laughs) That sounds like fun. Well, that's how it works.
2: <laughs> Everything
4: goes in my horseback.
2: Oh, very nice.
4: <laughs> I hate when they put the eggs on a horse that bucks. <laughs> that really sucks. Yeah. I worked in one camp that was pretty pretty good camp, had a good group of guys. And um, they were. I learned how to make a new trap for mice. You take a five-gallon bucket, fill it halfway full of water, a little line of, across the top of it, put a can on it, and
3: put peanut butter around it. And they get up there, try to get the peanut butter, cans, fins,
4: and, uh, mice still in the water. So the next morning before they got there, I took all the mice, and I put them on the clothesline with a clothespin, put peanut butter and stuck a tag to them, so when all the hunters got there, I showed them what I'd been hunting. Nothing but mice. So I got to oh, take wow. my pictures with all the mice.
0: <laughs> it was a pretty
4: cool camp, though. They they even had a tree that had a cord coming out of it saying RV hookup. Like I said, needless to say, it's a joke because you can't get there by RV. <laughs>
0: I've
1: been in oh, some awesome. pretty good camps. Yeah. If you would like, All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was
2: the late, great uh, Corridorus breeder, Lynn Masney, who appeared on the Aquatic Wetline many times over the years. To hear her other speeches on Corridorus, please go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash aquatic wetline, which you are on now. I also recommend subscribing to the Aquatic Wetline by hitting the follow button. Sadly, like I said, we lost Lynn Masney in November of
1: 2016 as she passed away. So let's take one final moment of silence. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank
2: you for the uh, final moment of silence for Lynn Masney. This was a wonderful fishkeeping hall of fame debut and i'm very happy that lynn masney is the first inductee and now she is the first hall of famer i want to thank rebecca Withrow for a phenomenal induction speech and accepting the hall of fame in behalf of lynn masney so congratulations once again go out to lynn masney the Doris breeder. And I would like to remind listeners that if you have a tank that's prepared for it, I I would like to see you guys purchase some Corridorist catfish and then uh, take a picture of them and tag Lynn Masney on Facebook and Alice Cardinelli or Aquatic Wetline, and let's make this go viral. So, ladies and gentlemen, I want to remind you to purchase some Corridorist Take some pictures or a picture, and then tag Lynn Maskey on Facebook, and also tag Aquatic Wetline or Aqua Els Cardinelli. Let's share her love of Corridoris by keeping the Corridoris catfish in the aquarium hobby. So with that being said, we're going to wrap up this awesome show. I'd like to thank Rebecca Wistrow for being the guest inductor. She did a great job. And I'd like to thank all of you for listening to this great show. And now Lynn Masty will live on forever as a honorary member of the Aquatic Wetline Hall of Fame. I'd like to remind you that there are still four spots open for the Aquatic Wetline Trivia Game on April fifteenth, two 2017. At 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Mountain, and 6 p.m. Pacific. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or a contestant, if you want to call it a contestant, please email com, And in the title of the email, please put AW Trivia. And in your email, please put your name, your location, the fish you are currently keeping, and your favorite fish. So, I need the final four by April 10th. So who will it be? Do you want to win a 30 to $50 gift box from yourfishstuff.com? Do you want a chance to win the very first Aquatic Wetline Cup with uh, Easter candy and also some fish food and other prizes possibly? Then you have to enter. It's a very, very simple game, folks. So just enter by emailing aquaticwetline at outlook.com. And in the title AW Trivia, talk about your name, your location, your favorite fish, and the fish you are keeping right now. The first four emails I get will be the final four of the eight contestants to compete on the very first ever Aquatic Wetline Aquarium Trivia game, which debuts on April 15th, 2017 at 9 p.m. Eastern. Also, uh, next Saturday, April 1st, 2017, I'm going to be debuting the yearly show called Aquatic Wetline Fish Mania, and on that show, I'm going to have three special guests, an appropriate reefer, I'm also going to have William Garden, a epistogramma cichlid lover, and last but not least, I have School of Fish, Inc. manager, Chris Bones, from a local food store, coming on that show. And also on that show, we am going to talk about Glowfish, and I'm going to reveal the prizes for Aquatic Wetline Hall of... or excuse me, for Aquatic Wetline Trivia Game on April 15th. So next Saturday, you'll find out exactly what prizes will be given away on April 15th during the Trivia Game. Now, our next Hall of Fame inductee is going to be Mr. African Cichlid, Donovan Barger. I'm going to be inducting Donovan Barger to the Aquatic Wetline Hall of Fame uh, in July. So Donovan will be inducted to the Aquatic Wetline in July of this year, and he will be the summer inductee. I'm very, very honored to induct Donovan into the Hall of Fame, and he's being inducted for his passion and his love of the fish-keeping hobby and African cichlids. So until then, enjoy this Hall of Fame induction. Congratulations, Lynn Masney. Thank you for listening. Have a great rest of your day. And Aqua Alex and Aquatic Wetline sign off. Congratulations, Lynn Masney, on being the very first inductee and the very first Hall of Famer of Aquatic
1: Wetline. Good night, everyone. Aquatic Wetline is looking for our
2: first eight contestants for Aquatic Wetline's Aquatic Trivia Fish Game. Do you want to be a part of the first fishkeeping trivia game? It's simple. The first eight fishkeepers to send an email to aquaticwetline at outlook.com with the title AW Trivia. Will be the contestants. In your email, please describe yourself, your fish tanks, and your favorite fish, and the career and location you live. You will have to be available on April 15th from 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Mountain, and 6 p.m. Pacific, and you will be on the show for an hour to two hours. So, would you like to be on the very first Aquatic Wetline Aquatic Trivia Game? Where the first prize is sponsored by YourFishStuff.com and the second prize is sponsored by Aquatic Wetline and Aqua Alex. So, there's a chance you can win a prize. So make sure you email wetline at
1: and become one of the eight contestants. April 1st, 2017,
2: 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Mountain, and 6 p.m. Pacific. Aquatic Wetline will celebrate the mania with the very first ever
0: Aquatic Wetline
2: Tropical Fish Mania. There's going to be three awesome guests guest is going to be from the popular YouTube channel, Inappropriate Reaper. Inappropriate Reaper will be on Technical Fish Our second guest is the manager of my local fish store, School of Fish, Jane Christopher Bones will be here to talk about what it's like being a fish store manager. And our third and final guest will be assistant drama, secret lover, and expert, William Gardner. We'll be here to talk about a pictogramma for the first time ever. Plus, there will be close fish Chat. We'll talk about yourfishstuff.com and why they are so quality and why they make a difference in the aquarium hobby and much, much more. So join Aquatic Wetline's Tropical Fish Mania on April 1st at 9 p.m. Eastern. Woo!
1: This episode of the Aquatic Wetline has concluded. Aqua Alex thanks you for listening to his show. Please check out Aquatic Wetline Fishkeeping
0: Podcast on Facebook and hit like for tropical fish facts and more. Feel free to reach Aqua Alex at outlook.com with any tropical fish questions. Your questions may make the show. Good night.